hope you... I do want to just start out this morning. Uh, this morning, Ryan Salo is filling my spot at First Baptist Church, and I want to just uh, say a quick prayer for him. God, I, I just thank you, man, uh, that you have made into Ryan Salo. I thank you, God, that he is willing to stand in your pulpit and preach your word. I pray that as he does that this morning, you would give him a clear mind, help him to say your word in a way that impacts the lives of the people at First Baptist this morning. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I was not nervous this morning until I walked in the back and saw service surveys, and I thought maybe you were going to be grading me somehow this morning. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. You might be wondering why it is that I'm preaching this Sunday. Uh, it's because I asked if I could. I've been <clears throat> given the opportunity to preach every week at First Baptist Church, and I love doing that because God's given me that opportunity. The downside of that is I miss time with my family. You. And this morning is the first time in 15 years that both of my parents have been here in Marquette. And so I asked if I could preach here because I wanted my family together. Over the past 15 years, as I've lived in Marquette, uh, with the absence of my parents and my brothers and sisters, I have found in this place replacements that do pretty well, whether it's Pastor Brian or Pastor Hank or Jim Ferris who operate in the role of my parents. And you should feel proud that it takes three sets of them to make up for you. Whether it's all the brothers and sisters who stand by me all the time from this church. I don't feel that I'm missing my family that often because my family is here. But that's not the only reason I wanted to preach this morning. The last time I stood in this pulpit, was two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I was a very different person then. My life has flipped upside down since. I lost everything that was important to me. And I was left with just one thing. That was God's word. As I began to study God's Word, as I began to realize that I was alone apart from Christ, I began to get to know Christ in a way that I never had. I began to study His Word and to understand it in a way that I never had. 
And I began to learn some amazing things about Jesus Christ and about the Christian life. And over that time, I have wanted so badly to share with you, my family, what I'm learning. And so today, with all of my family together, I want to share with you the most important thing that I've learned. I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, if you would, chapter 3. I'm not here this morning because of me. I'm here this morning because as I have gone through the most difficult time of my life, I have found an amazing friend in Jesus Christ. And the truth of his word has kept me going. You know, over the last two years, some important themes have come back over and over again as I've been reading through God's Word. One of those is to trust in God. Over and over and over again, God just keeps telling me to trust Him. And then in my life, He's created situations or allowed circumstances where I had to trust Him. And every time, He has proven Himself faithful. Over the last two years, as I've read through God's Word, He has taught me to wait on Him. Sometimes the hardest part. But He always comes through. And He always proves Himself faithful. But the most important thing that I have learned came from the darkest time. You see, as struggle and difficulty entered my life, it was really the first time in my life that I had been there. And I didn't know how to handle it. And I became very aware of my needs. I became very aware of my shortcomings. I had lost sight of who I was, and I wasn't really sure who I was going to be. Struggle and difficulty in our lives often turns our eyes towards ourselves. We look at ourselves and we feel sorry about the things that we've lost. We feel lonely from the things that we've lost. We begin to get depressed and worry about the future. And we think about the immediate, the things that are right around us. But as I began to continue through God's Word, learning about trust and learning about waiting on Him, God began to show me something else. Over and over in God's Word, as I was reading, I kept reading this idea 
that Colossians chapter 3 starts with. He says, since set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. When I read that passage, that wasn't the first time I had read that thought. But that was the clearest explanation, the clearest example I had seen in God's Word of that principle. He said, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. You see, he's giving us the reason why we need to do this. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. We have been identified with Christ in a number of ways. We have been identified with his death on the cross. We have been identified with his burial in the grave. And we have been identified with his resurrection. Our old lives, when we meet Christ, they die and they are buried. And we are raised to new life with Christ. And because of that, since we have been raised to new life with Christ, he says, we ought to have a perspective change. It ought to change the way we think. It ought to change the way we see things. So he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. You know, I, when I was younger, I spent a lot of time driving. I remember when I was in college, I would drive all over the place because gas was cheap then, and I could just go where I wanted. And so I would just get in my car and I would drive. And I'd be listening to the radio or doing something else. And I remember times when I'd be going down the highway and miles and miles and miles would go by. And I would suddenly realize I don't know how I got where I am. I, I don't know how I arrived where I was at. And I want us to understand that when he says we need to set our sights on the realities of heaven, sometimes in our Christian lives we can just go along with the flow we can start doing Christian life and doing what we think we ought to do, and it becomes just a routine, and we're doing it, but we're not really paying attention to what we're doing. Sometimes our life has gone by, and we're not really sure how we've gotten here. When it says that we should set our sights on the realities of heaven, he's talking about a, an intentional focus. You see, when I moved up here, I learned about that. You can't just get behind the, car, the wheel of the car and drive for miles and miles without knowing what you're doing in the winter in the UP. When you get in your car in the winter in the UP, you are white knuckle, and you are staring at that road, and you're looking for deer, and you are paying attention, and you're focused. You can feel when the wheels start to slide, and you pair and you adjust. It's a very different thing. And that's what he's getting at here. He says we need to set our sights on the realities of heaven. Because we've been raised to new life with Christ, because our perspective needs to change, we've got to put our eyes on heaven. We need to understand that this life, this short time on earth, is not what it's all about. It's heaven that matters. He says thinking about the things of heaven not the things of earth. 
We spend a lot of time thinking about the things of earth. He says, you should do this because you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. We're identified with His death. We're identified with His burial. We're identified with His resurrection. And someday we will be identified with His glory in heaven. And we should have our sights on that. We should put our mind on that. We should be focused on that. And that's easy to say. But when difficulty hits our life, when trouble hits our life, when trouble hits my life, Think about what my tendency is to start to focus inward and downward. And I begin to think about what's right in front of me. And I begin to think about all the trouble that I'm dealing with. And I begin to think about my hurt feelings. And I begin to think about my depression and my sadness and my loneliness. This isn't the only place in God's Word where I read this. This was just the clearest part. There were others. The book of Philippians, right before this book, in chapter 3, verse 20, I'll start in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. I had the opportunity over the summer to start attending Ryan Salo's Bible study. And I remember one week with Elisa Wearing and Miranda Millen, Ryan Salo, we sat there and we talked about this passage. Now I remember Miranda saying something about the idea of being citizens of heaven, of identifying as citizens of heaven and thinking of ourselves that way, how that would change our perspective, how that would change the way we thought about things, how it would change the way we act in certain situations. If we thought of ourselves rather than citizens of Marquette or rather than citizens of the U.S., if we thought of ourselves as citizens of heaven, if we realize that our place in heaven is already set, we already belong there, how that would change what we do and the way we act, this is about that perspective. It doesn't say it as clearly as Colossians, but it's the same idea he's saying, you got to put your mind on heaven, on what's to come, on what you're going to receive, on the glory that is coming. He says it's those that are headed for destruction, 
Those are the people that are paying attention to life on this earth, on the troubles of today. When I turn my focus to those troubles, I am headed for destruction. I've seen that in my own life. When I begin to think about all the trouble, I just get further and further into depression, and it does not do me any good. When I can pull my eyes up, when I can lift my eyes to heaven, when I read God's Word and I remember that I've got something so much more worth it to pay attention to and to live for than to wallow in my self-pity, God begins to do remarkable things in my life. Without my effort at all, God can lift my spirits. Without my effort at all, God can bring people into my life who encourage me. I thought I was going to do pretty well this morning with not crying. But as I sat up here, I got a text from a good Christian friend here in town. Just encouraging me this morning. When I begin to put my eyes on Christ, He takes care of my needs. He fills my hurts. He lifts me up. He changes my perspective. He reminds me that I'm here for a different purpose. God created me and God created you to know Him and to make Him known. That's why you're here. If you know Jesus Christ today, if you've placed your faith in Him, you have one purpose to be the image of God to the world, to know God better and to make Him known. That is why you're here. When I begin to turn my eyes to myself, to my troubles, to my problems, I can't be doing the work of God. When I turn my eyes to my troubles and my sorrows and my loneliness, I forget to reach out and help, each other, help others up. I forget to encourage other people. I forget to do the work that God put me here for, which is to show His character to the people that I'm around every day. God's character is not to sit around and feel sorry for myself. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, you see, he, the, the author of Hebrews here has just gotten finished talking about all these great people of faith. He spent a whole chapter giving a story after story of great people of faith, and he says, therefore, because of that, since we have been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And then he says this, and I find this interesting. He says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't be weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives yet in the struggle for sin. 
He says something there that's amazing to me. As I'm a follower of Christ, as I'm trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ and live my life the way he lived his life, he says what Jesus did was he endured all that stuff because he had a different focus. He went through all that he went through. He took my sin upon him. He died on the cross. He endured the hardship and the pain because of the joy that was awaiting him. He knew what the end game was. He was thinking of heaven. That didn't remove the difficulty of the life. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, we read the story of Jesus. praying to his Father on the Mount of Olives. Because of all that he was going through, he said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus knew pain. Jesus knew suffering. He knew the difficulty of life. He knew what it was like to be put down. He knew what it was like to feel loss. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew what it was like to be hated, to be beaten, to be mocked. It affected him. He felt it. He endured it. But he did it because he was awaiting the joy that was coming. John chapter 17 and verse 3 says this. Another prayer of Jesus. He says, this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Verse 4, he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus came to earth, and he dealt with the pain, and he dealt with the hurt, and he dealt with all the difficulty of a human life, the kind you and I deal with, but he kept his perspective. He had been in heaven. He knew that glory. And he knew that it would return if he could get through the job he had to do. He was going to return to his father and receive the glory that he deserved. He was going to be back at the right hand of the father. And so he went through the difficulty and he endured it. And as a follower of Christ, I need to do the same. As I go through difficulty, I need to keep my eyes on what's coming. My faith in Christ has sealed my place in heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. I will be in glory with Jesus Christ so I can endure what's going on right now. In Matthew chapter 16, Verse 23, Jesus is talking to Peter. Jesus has predicted his own death, and Peter is not interested in hearing that. 
Verse 21, it says, from then Jesus began to tell the disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So often when we face difficult times, we turn our eyes to us. We see things from our point of view. We can't see how the future is going to move forward. We can't see how we're ever going to be happy again. We can't see how we're ever going to get past this trouble. But that's because we're seeing it from a human point of view. And God is asking us to stop doing that and keep in mind that He is God. You see, when Jesus prayed in the garden and He said, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but thine He was demonstrating trust in God's plan. He was demonstrating trust in who the Father was. And God is asking us to do the same thing as followers of Jesus Christ. He's asking us to trust that He has a bigger perspective. He has a bigger view than we do. So when we can't see the way forward, He wants us to trust in Him. Keep our eyes on the one who can deal with the trouble. To keep our eyes on the one who can lift us out of it. And if that doesn't happen in this life, it certainly will when this life is over. I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. This is one of my favorite books lately. The book of 1 Peter... Peter is writing to churches in Asia Minor and he's trying to remind them, encourage them. They're facing some difficulty. They're facing some persecution. People telling them that what they're believing in is not true. It's foolishness. Same kind of stuff we deal with today as Christians. And Peter wants to encourage them and remind them that what they're believing in is not foolishness. They can trust it. They can trust his words because he was with Jesus. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus before he died. He saw Jesus after he died. His account is a firsthand account. They can trust his words. He wants them to know that they can trust it. And then he goes on and he says, because you can trust it, your life should be different. You should live as if you're free, as if you're set apart, as if you're holy. You should live the way that Christ lived. You should be like Christ because He has changed your position. He has changed your life. He has saved you from the penalty of sin. He tells us we ought to lift each other up. Think of other people's interests before our own. He gives us example after example of different types of relationships and how we can do that. He tells us the kinds of things that we should be doing with our gifts. But then... He talks about suffering. And maybe this is why this book has been so important to me lately. But as he talks about suffering, he says, 
So then, well, let's go back to chapter 3, verse 13. He says, now, who will want to harm you if you, do, if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their th- threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what, is, what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. The question that comes to my mind when I read that is why? Why is it better for us? Verse 18, he says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And you drop down to verse 22, and it says this. Now, since he's done that, it says, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. This returns to this thought that Jesus knew what was coming. Why did he go through all that Peter just talked about? Why did he deal with that suffering? Why did he do that for you when he didn't deserve it? He did it because he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be in heaven again. And that you and I were going to be there with him because he dealt with that suffering. And it was worth it to him. So then, it says, Christ suffered physical pain. You must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and their love, friends and their feasting, their drunkenness, their wild parties, their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember, they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. This is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most of all, continue to show your deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. He's talking about how we should live even though we're suffering. Continue to do the things that God wants you to do. Continue to live your lives in a way that shows the love of God to each other. Don't focus on yourself and your hurt and your pain. Reach out. Continue to do the work of God. Drop down to verse 12. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. That's the joy that's awaiting us. Christ endured the cross. He endured the pain because of the joy that was awaiting him. The joy that is awaiting us is being with Christ in his glory. 
to join him in heaven, to be a part of it, co-heirs with Christ. That is an amazing thing. But we have to keep our eyes on that and not on what's going on around us. So be happy, he says, when you're insulted for being a Christian. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it mustn't be for your own stupidity, Miles' translation. But it is no, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Drop down to verse 19. He says, So, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep doing what's right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. The truth that I have learned in my difficult couple of years since the last time I stood in this pulpit is that I can trust God. He never fails me. That I can wait on Him when things seem to be crashing down and I don't think I can hold on. And I can do that because God keeps reminding me to lift my eyes, to put my eyes on what's coming. And not worry too much about what's here. To lift my eyes and think about what He has done for me. And to continue to show the world around me the character of Jesus Christ, not the hurt of Miles Bagley. To do the things that God asked me to do. To live in a way that honors Him to be set apart because I have been raised to life with Christ. When I wallow in my suffering, I am not really living. But when I lift my eyes and I focus on Christ, He pulls me up out of my sorrow. And He changes people's lives through mine. Why did I want to give this message today? Because it wasn't until I was digging into God's Word that I realized I was not looking up. I was not keeping my eyes on heaven. I was totally focused on miles. And I know what it's like when hurt and pain comes into your life. Your eyes turn toward yourself and you can't see out of that. We look at our hurt, we look at our body, we look at our wounds and our bruises. But God wants us to lift our eyes, not focus on those things. As I've gone through all of this trouble, many of you, many of you have sat with me and cried with me and shared your hurts with me. So I know that I'm not alone. There are many with me. And I needed this reminder from God to lift my eyes. And I know that many of you do too. 
for those struggling every week for a paycheck just so they can hand it to somebody else to keep a roof above their head, lights on in their house, Lift your eyes. To those who have lost a spouse and are struggling to maintain the responsibilities of an entire household by themselves, lift your eyes. To those of you who are successful, professionals, whose talent and intelligence has provided you with your eyes, Comfort and a wealth. Lift your eyes. To the parent who's lost a child, to the parent who's watching helplessly as the child that they raised the best they can is walking a dangerous path. Lift your eyes. to those children feeling unloved and unwanted by their parents. Lift your eyes. To the broken and the bruised and the hurt and the helpless, lift your eyes. To those whose mistakes have caused them to be removed from ministries that they were a part of, and they're never sure how long it's going to be for them to be redeemed, to be restored. Lift your eyes to the lonely, to the lost, to the frustrated, to the forgotten. Lift your eyes. To the one who thought he lost everything, to find that he had the one thing he always needed. Lift your eyes. God, thank you for this opportunity to be with my family, to speak your word because it matters to me and I know it matters to them because God, you give us strength. You lift us up. You put us back on our feet. You can do great things through us if we just will look to you. God, there is so much hurt to be had. But you want to take it all away if we will just lift our eyes. Help us to remember when our eyes start to look at our troubles that you are waiting for us just to lift our eyes. And you can take all of that away do something beautiful in our lives. I pray this in your name. Amen.